Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready, so let us begin. I imagine that no matter what you tell me or tell yourself, you'll ultimately die fighting these bastards. So what I'm asking is this. Wouldn't you rather give it all at once to something real than carve off useless pieces till there's nothing left? This week, the story is about catching up to where the press was all those weeks ago when they sang the praises of the Andor series. They had seen four advanced episodes, and as of today, we have now seen uh, the fourth episode as well. It's entitled Aldhani. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Aldhani? Think so? Yeah. Uh, Ross, last week, you and I were mostly on the same page about the initial three episodes. Uh, we saw potential in the series, but found it slow, to say the least. Uh, do we see it ramping up and starting to take some form here in episode four? Uh, yes. However, um, it doesn't negate what you just said about it being slow. Sure. Um, this is slow. And people keep saying slow burn like it's this cool thing. Like, ooh, but it's a slow burn. <laughs> um yeah, that can work when like the characters and writing are incredibly strong. That's and fascinating not... criticism. I never thought about how slow burn is just like a disguised way of saying that something is boring for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it exactly. is kind of it is kind of a compliment and it works sometimes if pace is part of a very like carefully cultivated suspense. But we're not mm. really in suspense in these episodes, are we? We're just kind of learning a little bit by bit by bit. Yeah. And I think this episode was probably my favorite thus far. Uh, but even with that, it was easily the most exposing episode, I sure. felt, yeah. in terms of cementing probably the biggest flaw in this series. And that is that it is going to be presented to us in I think maybe the worst way imaginable. I think it's probably going to be uh, at least two episodes too long. Yeah. At this at this pace, four episodes too long for the season. Um, but I think the biggest sin is that this show does not understand how to be a television show. Interesting. The episodes do not stand alone. Mm. This was not an episode of television. This was part of an episode of television. Okay. And I think by delivering those first three episodes, it disguised it. And we were able to, we were forced really to look at them as this kind of the sum of their parts. I mean, I don't think really anybody really parsed out all three and was able to experience them. And I think we got a little bit fooled by that. And while I really enjoyed this, uh, I think it's going to be uh, a failure in structure the same way Book of Boba Fett was. In a different, it's failing in a different way, but I feel the biggest failure is the structure and not necessarily the content, which I I was really enjoy, I, I really enjoyed this week and I thought it was very interesting. And I think the story is going to be good. I just, I'm not thrilled with the execution. I mostly agree. And most of my reservations are in the pacing. I guess I sort of did find that this episode, unlike the first three, had an identity unto itself. Maybe not an arc unto itself, but uh, an mm. identity if only because we got off world and we brought in some new characters and we brought in some old familiar characters and things started to feel a little bit, um, I guess, a little bit more like Star Wars. Although I made an observation, um, and you can correct me on this, but you know how we were discussing last week about how like it seemed to be a little bit embarrassed to be a Star Wars show? Mm -hmm. no aliens in this show like none um 
I I forget his species, uh, but there is the guy who's the the friend of Cassian's uh, in I think the first episode. Yeah. Um, and uh, that is probably it. You're right. There really are very few aliens. Uh, there's some in the background that you'll see. Uh, but it really has not been a significant aspect in the slightest. Well, considering we're bringing in all of these, and by the way, I know my camera's not working properly. I'm not sure what the Wi-Fi situation is, but let me know if I cut out. Yeah, Yeah, you're totally frozen in a weird spot. Okay, Um, as long as we can talk. Um, We're bringing in all these new characters, um, and for some reason, there's an active decision to make them all people, uh, like, you know, the, the camp troop here on this new forest planet. Like, there's like five people here, Two of them could have been creatures, especially since we know later on when the Rebel Alliance is properly formed, there's all kinds of different creatures in that group. That's an interesting one. And while I think it was missing from other, like the first three episodes, I don't think it was missing from this episode. Uh, And that's because it mostly takes place in Imperial facilities Mm. and on Coruscant, which is the upper levels of Coruscant. So the richest part of Coruscant and... Uh, the imperial in imperial society it's pretty much only humans and uh, there aren't that many aliens we will start to see a few more like sly Moore was mentioned by mon mothma's husband as being somebody or mon mothma might have mentioned uh sly Moore, but as coming to that party that they're having and sly Moore uh is an alien uh from the prequels uh but of a very humanoid uh standard uh, kind of look in her own barren look um they're haven't really i'm trying to think if there's anybody like a like a freck or somebody who's been but there there really hasn't been it's been very people-based uh i thought it worked for this episode but uh you're right it was sorely missing in the first three i think i will say uh, but also in that in, sorry just that, that camp troop if they need to infiltrate the empire true. they would need to all be people because they the empire just only lets them be that's yeah that's a good point okay fair enough yeah i am starting to see some realization of what i predicted last week which is that the opposite of our so-called protagonists and heroes being morally ambiguous, um, the Imperial officers are being more two-dimensional in their character development as well. They're they're humans who maybe have consciences, and at the end of the day, maybe they'll be evil, maybe they won't be, but they're a lot more than just like twirling mustache uh, evil guys, right? Like like this blonde woman, um, her character's name is uh, Deidre Miro, uh, a mm. lot of the Imperial arc was based around like her uh, reticence in this episode. And in the first three, it was that other guy who went to see his mom in this episode. And there's there's yeah, more going on with turn. these people than just, gee, I want power. Gee, the Emperor's great. Yeah, and I really like that. And the fact that this is something that I think the show will succeed with in its overall like arch. And I think the Andor in the end could be a great product. I just think the way that we're going to be fed it is going to be really wrong for the material that we're given. Right. Um, and you look at the way that these kind of um, characters are, are, are being kind of built up over time uh, and you're able to kind of see the way that okay, we're looking at the, the the corporate level and this is like the empire, like the bottom of the empire's boot. 
And this is how we start in this first arc. And now we're going up to like the bottom of the empire, the bottom rungs. Um, and but we're doing some like uh, some uh, like ISB stuff, so it's it's getting a little bit more up there. It would be interesting to see if it continues to rise through the series. Like if maybe Krennic comes in at the next level, or maybe he's the end kind of level of uh, imperial seniority that uh, becomes the foes of our heroes. But uh, maybe that final level is the emperor uh, and yeah. maybe uh, it continues to rise throughout uh, and we'll be able to see all the levels of the empire or maybe Tarkin will be that kind of um, grand um, final big baddie of of the season uh, because I think it's just going to continue to rise. And I think while we'll have like Cyril Karn and like Deirdre, Deirdre um, being important antagonists i think you're right that they will maybe transition into some levels of evil gray uh while newer big baddies that we know could be brought in i mean we did kind of get a tarkin-esque figure um mm. and i find him interesting and he is quite evil seeming in a very traditionally imperial way in star wars um but he has these you know very proper stoic scenes with his uh, subordinates, and I find this guy kind of interesting, but I don't want them to introduce too many of these. Like, I don't need the hierarchy to be too sprawling, I guess, if we're going to like look at the Bureau of the Empire, at least not without bringing in Tarkin here and there or, you know, Krennic now and then. Like, we just keep introducing more people. Yeah, uh, this part of Gaz, uh, I really liked him. And I think it's good to show kind of the the ins and outs of all these layers. But yes, it does need to, like, we, it, it can't continue. Like, we don't want to just have this show be the, oh, here's the new division of the Empire for the week. There needs to be a purpose. It needs to be building to something or continue to just double down on the characters that you've already introduced and allow us to learn about them even more. So I would agree with that completely. Well, we, the, uh, the goods and the bads are about to... Uh, intercept, I think, because this episode is essentially Luthen's like, well, uh, Cassian is wayward. We're going to use his talents as a sneaky sneak, and I'm going to pawn him off on this campsite of, of rebel spies that I know can get the job done. And essentially, he's reluctantly brought into their fold. The, the lady of the bunch, uh, she's vouching for him. She's very serious. And they um, convey their plan, which Bell? is... Vel, they they explain their their mission, which is to steal um, the payroll for um, an entire sector of the empire for a quarter year. So basically, do a huge money heist at the empire, which is cool. Yeah, that's a a, a great concept. Um, I don't know if that's exactly what's happening though, because they talked about uh, arms later on, and so I'm not sure whether or not they're stealing weapons instead, and that was a cover story, or they're oh. doing both, or if they're going to need to. Um, break into the armory to complete their mission. Uh, I just, I, I know there was, I only got to watch the episode once, but that was something that uh, at least was kind of brought up and Cassian did a bit of a double take. Like, wait a minute, I thought we were stealing payroll, sort of. Well, I think I was just psyched about a lot of the elements of this story and the visuals in this episode because we did a podcast some weeks ago about the things we would most like to see in Andor. And one of the things on my list was traditional spy movie fair and we got a lot of that mm. in this episode like you know an intricate plan to steal 
whether it's a big bunch of money or a big bunch of guns or whatever it is. That's great. We got a new character introduced on her way into essentially the FBI wearing a trench coat. We got another person who we don't really know who he is put on his wig and go to work. Like some of that stuff is like classic Lacare, and I was excited to see them employing those devices. Yes, I couldn't agree more, especially on the Luthan side of things. I thought they executed his double life so well. And he's just, he's such an interesting character. He really is without a doubt, the, the shining beacon for me in this show. Uh, although Mon Mothma was a really awesome in this episode. Yeah. So I'm hoping we get more and more and more of her. Um, but I thought that that entire sequence in the, in the art gallery, uh, in the way that they're just kind of putting on this facade and then they slip to the back and then it gets real serious. And then they just flow right back into the facade uh, it's it's great. I, I really do like the way that they're executing that. I think it's it's like a different sort of genre, but at the same time, I do feel like that felt Star Warsy. And I think doing it, like having the setting be Coruscant and all that, and having it done in a bit of a modern way, it, it looked great. Uh, and it had added some familiarity to it as well, which I liked. Explain uh, what's going gonna... on with, with Luthen there. He's he's introduced in the series as a Sagarera type, like a pirate who lurks in the shadows and has intel. Uh, and, mm. and, you know, he recruits, but then also he is clearly a dignitary. He wears fancy purple robes um, and rings on his fingers. And so what's going on there? Well, he's an antiquities dealer or uh, some form of has like a gallery and an and antiques gallery. Uh, and there's like a bunch of Easter eggs in there, which I think is great. Uh, and everybody's saying Tony Gilroy was a a very collaborative creator. And uh, so it does make sense that you're seeing, seeing things like Kyle Katarn's blaster. Oh, uh, wow. And then, well, that, that's what that's what I was referring to before. Like, right, um, I guess we but, talked about uh, that. Yeah. But in, in this episode, for example, uh, I didn't get to watch it uh, a second time, uh, but I think I heard somebody mention that uh, Starkiller from the force unleashed that his helmet uh, is in Luthen's shop. So nice. I just like a bunch of things like that. And Luthen makes a reference to Knights of the Old Republic as well. And so like they're doing a bunch of really great uh, fan service Easter egg things that also slip in very seamlessly with this um, totally new sort of genre approach, like this spy thriller where they're in this just reasonable, it's, it's an antiquities gallery that just doesn't stand out to anybody who doesn't know anything, but it also allows you to look and peel back the layers and, and see that, okay, this guy's a guy who's collected a lot of things. And it allows you to, if you really want to, to kind of think more and more, like how does somebody gain that much power and influence to be able to open an antiquities shop? Like, is he, is he a hunter of some kind? Like, is he a treasure hunter? And is that what kind of brought him into this life? Uh, like you said before, is he a pirate? Like, is he, has he stolen most of this stuff uh, and is now trying to legitimize himself on the backs of some rebellion just because he hates the empire as much as them? And like, will, is he worse than Saw Gerrera? Like, we don't know any of these things. And so it'll be really interesting to see how they develop that over time and which part of his life is the more, um, is the bigger facade, whether it's the, him being a good guy rebel or whether it's him being a a dignitary uh, or maybe it's uh, we'll see another side of him entirely that maybe is the more uh, true face. Yeah, um, could be a Luke double agent, which but is he, another classic noir trope. Exactly. Yeah. And you just I think he's the character that you're supposed to the entire time not know whether they're the double agent. And I think that it's while I didn't think it would work because it seems too obvious, 
it's working for me. I think the character is being pulled off exceptionally well by Stellan Skarsgård. And explain something for me, which might be rudimentary, but just like politically and galactically speaking, how is it that Mon Mothma can be a senator in a time where the the government is a monolith? How does she have a job? It's all a big, it's, I, I think I've said the word facade a bunch. It's it's a big fugazi. <laughs> I had to come up with a new one. Um, yeah, the emperor keeps the Senate uh, intact right up until A New Hope. Uh, and then Tarkin says, the emperor dissolved it this morning. And it's like, okay, perfect. So the, the oh, Senate okay. is completely gone by the time of, uh, of A New Hope. Uh, and when you get to that point, it shows that I guess they're, they're going to kind of display to us how it's just chipped away down to nothing and how a senator really has no power. Uh, but in Mon Mothma's case, she's kind of taking the the influence and the, the the perks of being a senator. And as opposed to just like having dinner parties like her husband, uh, he, she's actually doing something with it and, and fighting back for, for the people. And Bail Organa would be in a similar sort of boat but it's this the senate just dissolves into not being able to accomplish anything the same way it is in a lot of governments in the world <laughs> because right. you have just these rules put in place that allows one side to throw down a veto power and i'm sure palpatine uh has carefully maneuvered it so that he doesn't have to look like the bad guy all the time and that He's paid somebody off to uh, kick up a stink or gets the Trade Federation to do most of his dirty work. And and so Palpatine is able to just slowly make that monolith um, more and more obvious. Although when you say the first galactic empire, you think that might be a little obvious right there. <laughs> well, and so I guess if Mon Mothma continues to have a story in this series, which, by the way, I think she should, I think... Genevieve oh, yeah. O'Reilly is like a really like striking, compelling character. And I just think it's like a great success story that this actress has been like waiting for her big Star Wars moment for like two decades. And, and she's like really rising to the occasion. She's great in this episode. Um, yeah. So I guess that's going to be her, her storyline is like coming to terms with uh, truly the fascism that's around her, that she is not, you know, strong enough from within to be able to uh, right the ship. So she's going to have to do the extreme thing. Yeah, and she does it in Rebels where she kind of makes that big speech that basically outs the Senate as what it is and the Empire for what it is and the Emperor for what he is. And and that's what makes her have to go into, into hiding. And so I wonder if they will uh, skip over that and then she'll just become part of the Underground Rebellion or whether they'll reenact that through this season or next season. I think it would be good to keep her undercover for as long as possible. I want to see these dinner parties. I'm so excited for the dinner party. Yeah. I think that's going to be incredible to be able to have that kind of tension. Like there's a great dinner party in the book, uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, where Tarkin comes over for dinner wow. to the Organa household. Uh, and so like, it's just it, the tension just seeps off the page. And so I would love to actually be able to visually see something like that and have Mon Mothma in the same room as Sly Moore. Uh, that's some revenge of the Sith background characters getting some limelight that I absolutely adore. Uh, and yes, of course, Mon Mothma doing some great heavy lifting. Uh, Genevieve O'Reilly on the acting side, she's she's killing it. And that's kind of a, a nice thing that uh, Star Wars lucks into because uh, George Lucas 
probably wouldn't have tried necessarily that hard to get somebody who's a great actress back in when he was casting for Revenge of the Sith. It's another Tamora Morrison. It's kind of a similar situation yep. there. This person who was like part of the family for a long time and let's see what they got now uh, with a bigger spotlight. Although I also liked her, uh, the set there was just very cool looking, whether it was her apartment or her office or whatever. Just the big white space was really cool and grand. Yep. And it was cool to, to meet her husband, Perrin. Hmm. Uh, he seems like a bit of a dink, but uh overall it'll be interesting to see if maybe he's uh too ingrained in the empire and maybe they kind of or she leaves him behind when she goes into the rebellion so cassian is kind of taking a backseat he's present through this whole episode but he is undercover he's using his adoptive father's name which is clem is that right um And we have some charisma uh, within the camp. Uh, I had mentioned, I think on last week's episode, uh, Eben Moss Backrack, who's an actor from um, The Bear, and he was in Girls. I'm rewatching Girls, and he plays just the most insufferable character, but he's very, very good. He has incredible blue eyes, and he's tall, and he plays uh, Arvel Skeen in, in this okay. sequence. So he's like really good. Uh, another actor is Alex that Lothar. Was the- who um, we know Sorry. from the end of the effing world, like the very British uh, scrawny looking dude. Um, these two gotcha. actors That's appear at the same him. time. Um, Karis Nemec is his name. And so the two of them together, like really very different kind of body types and personality types. But I, I think they both could work as sort of a twosome in this series. Yeah. The, uh, the Eben Moss backrack. Yeah. Is that how you say it? Uh, he's the guy um, who comes up to, to Nemec and basically says, and you're dead for sleeping, right? Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I thought that, uh, yeah, they had a good kind of rapport. I like everybody in that little camp. I think that they could be interesting. Uh, Vel is probably the one who annoys me the most, uh, but could get much more interesting. Clearly has uh, a hardened coat on. And so uh, overall, I think the next couple episodes, I think this arc could be uh, far better than even the, than the first one. Me too. Uh, and so I'm, Really excited to see what the three will come together as. Um, the next one, I wonder if it'll be a bit of a sort of a filler or if they'll start the the heist and then the heist will be a little bit longer. Uh, I think probably we'll get the dinner party in the next episode. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, like, how the arc overall plays, whether it will be this one kind of flowing, okay, we've set up the story in this one and that's where we're going to be at at the end of the third one, or if it's going to maybe take a few twists and turns that we didn't really expect. Because the first three, like within the first 10 minutes, you kind of knew what was going to happen by the end of the third episode. Right. And you think that this heist is going to be the second arc in the series? Like it's going to be a three episode sequence in total? I think... I think so. I think the next one will be finalizing the plans. And I know from the trailer, there's a really cool shot of Cassian piloting a ship through some of the most just the like beautiful looking sky or slash space uh, that I've ever seen on, on camera. And so I assume that's the phenomenon they're talking about that they're going to escape through. And so it makes me think that they'll probably have some bumps along the way. Maybe they'll start the heist next episode, but that that will be kind of like the final sequence. They'll make their escape through this big um, light or like solar phenomena thing. Yeah. And um, that's how the, the, the sixth episode will wrap up. Yeah, no, I very much think that the, 
that these stories are, are being set up. But I would like a few twists and turns. I, I don't really know what Luthen's going to be doing in the next two episodes based off this episode. So that's that's good. That leaves the door open for maybe a, f- a few surprises uh, and mini arcs within this three episode arc. I guess I want some background for all these characters so that they're not just like two dimensional cogs in Cassian's story. Like who's in love with who? Who actually believes what? Who's avenging their father? Like I think we need some some motivation and also just like some reasons to fall in love with other characters. We need some Wades. Yeah. <laughs> you remember Wade from Obi-Wan? Right, yeah. Yeah, like and like that was a, a big internet thing and it was funny and for some reason we liked Wade. Sure. He was a good, and I don't, I agree. We don't necessarily have that, but I think we will after a few episodes. Wade is Ice Cube Jr., right? It's, uh, uh, no, no, no. Wade is the, is the random ass oh, pilot who right, dies right, during okay. the escape. Yes. Right. Uh, Wade. And, uh, the one that, yeah, but look, the one Maya Erskine gets all upset about. Yeah. Um, and we didn't give a shit because Wade was nobody. Exactly. But at the same time, it was kind of funny and it was like it clearly meant that like yes this character had an attachment and it made for like it felt like like star wars the sure. way that a background character would like oh you can see how that character is going to build up their cult reputation over time um and i would like to see these characters become characters that people would want to be attached well, to yeah and maybe not you necessarily just, just cassian maybe you just hit on something really important that might be the slippery slope of the way they're developing people in the show because before it premiered one of the big boasts is that it's going to have you know 400 new characters with names or something and like that's cool and everything and star wars is really unique and special in that it's canon has backstories and names for everyone and everything. It's so expansive in terms of lore and encyclopedia. And so it's very dangerous if they just get really flimsy with that, start introducing characters left and right, and we barely have any kind of background for them. That's kind of being irresponsible with one of Star Wars' most treasured traditions. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. It's something that it is a, it is a slippery slope, and while it is cool and something that I like because it does continue on with that, the characters do still need to be interesting in that same way. And if they're all people too, as opposed to being like weird aliens, like how it was in the original trilogy, when you got like, oh, you're, there's only so many people, but there's all these weird aliens, so that's how you remember them. Uh, it will get a little bit boring and i don't know how attached we'll get to them and so that that's something to to kind of consider uh as these as the series progresses and i wonder how season two will be as well whether or not it'll be focused more on um the inner workings of the rebellion where we're more likely to see the colorful cast of characters Mm. uh or whether or not it'll can kind of continue in this similar sort of way with a little bit less in the trenches um, but to be determined on that. Who is the next familiar pre-existing character that they're going to introduce into the show? Are we going to see Bail Organa next? Are we going to see Tarkin next? Saw Gerrera next, okay. I think. He'll, I think there's a chance he could still be in this three-episode arc. I think probably he's going to be the next arc, and they'll introduce him at like in episode seven, and that will be what brings us to episode nine. And then... Maybe at the end of that, we'll get a Tarkin tease or a Krennic tease or something like that. But I, I think it'll be Saw. We know he's going to be in the show. He was in one of the trailers. And so to give us 
to hold him out until episode seven and give us him in the trailers is unlike Star Wars. Right. So maybe we'll get him in the next couple episodes. That would make more sense. Uh, however, we are we did see that kind of cool um, sky shot thing. So at least we know that they're going somewhat deep with the trailer. And there's some shots that we still haven't seen, although most of them have been seen now, I'd say. Do you think it's been beneficial so far that they have abstained from the volume for the most part, that they're using more practical sets? Is that an asset? Yeah, absolutely. The volume is phenomenal for what it does for technology and providing opportunities to do things cheaper and then thus making them more common and then that helps everybody everybody gets to enjoy things more uh the volume wasn't as good in in obi-wan like i loved obi-wan but i i thought the volume was very obvious in a few spots sure and uh, i think mando has done it better uh book of boba fett i think did it great as well um i think although that there was probably quite a few sets just because a lot of it took place in the same spots, but I think this show you can you can see the budget for sure. Uh, it comes through. It you never are distracted by anything that looks fake. Uh, it is the most up to date. All the bells and whistles and what you're giving us on screen. So I, I definitely feel that we we can see the the on location benefits. Uh, I want to see the volume continue to be used because it means that it'll only get better. Uh, but I think not everyone is pulling it off in the same way per se. So I think it's maybe got a bit of a learning curve to use as a director. Um, although like Deborah Chow is great, but I just, it's, it's something that I, I am enjoying Tony Gilroy's ability to be on location. Uh, anything else you want to say about episode four Aldhani? Anything else that jumped out at you? Um, not really. It was interesting that there was so little of uh, Karn and there was nothing of Bix or uh, uh, Marva. Uh, it was all completely uh, moving on to this new plot line. And yeah. I wonder if that's how they're going to go about it. I think there's a decent chance of that. I think maybe some of these characters could come back for another episode or two or maybe a another arc. But it wouldn't shock me if we don't see either of those characters for the next three episodes and um, maybe the next six or nine episodes. I mean, and maybe they'll just be back in season two or maybe we'll never see them again. You never know. Mando works like that. And we usually we did see them again, but very episodically. We'd have these like really memorable people come in for just an episode or two and then we move on. Yes and no. I don't know how many super memorable people were only in like one episode. Uh, well, it was like it was uh, Timothy Oliphant until he came back. That's true, but I think we I think he didn't. Or Ahsoka, or um, or yeah. um, what's her name with the the other bounty hunter, the other uh, Mandalorian. Yeah, I, I mean. I, I know it does. It's very much it's guest star of the week stuff. I, I was more so thinking of season one when you said that. But yeah, season two it, it does that a lot, a ton. You're you're totally right. Uh, but I guess it's just because we did spend three episodes with these characters. It almost and then to have it cut off. It just feels a, maybe a little bit different and, uh, but not not bad necessarily. It just it almost leaves you wanting more. Like I, I really like Marva and Enbix. I think they're both really cool characters, and I'd be happy to see more of them. But uh, I also like. Part of Gaz and uh, and and Perrin and all these other new characters. Blevin was a little bit of a was a little bit of a dink as well. <laughs> uh, he was the guy who was who was fighting with um, uh, Dedra Miro. Uh, yeah, as the other 
ISB. Uh, and and what about yeah. Star Wars news outside of Andor? I know we had a pretty significant retirement from the Star Wars family. Uh, yes, it was uh, James Earl Jones officially kind of stating that uh, I had given my, and we all knew this anyway, he yeah. said, I gave my blessing for them to use the, the respeacher technology uh, for Obi-Wan Kenobi. It worked great, and apparently he has given that blessing in perpetuity as well, which is which is awesome. So that means that uh, whenever we want uh, James Earl Jones to be Darth Vader, which would be for everything that we want Darth Vader, <laughs> uh, he has given his, I believe, his, his blessing. And I'm sure there's stipulations. I'm sure he can't, like be put on in Darth Vader toys forever. But uh, yeah, if there you can't was say slurs or anything, like, that would be wrong. Yeah, but like circumstances <laughs> like this, uh, they would want to call upon uh, the the best there was. And let's face it, Darth Vader has a respeacher built into him. Yeah, it's perfect. So it totally works. It's it's weird with Luke Skywalker, but it it somehow worked. But it's weird. Yeah. It, it's not weird at all with Darth Vader. No. It just makes sense. Right. And it's, it's very an evolution of technology that I think is just another check mark for Star Wars uh, continuing to follow its its DNA. Anything else in the news? Very, very little. Um, if if nothing, uh, there was the uh, there's a couple skeleton crew photos. I saw there were more like leaks than set footage sort of thing. Uh, but it shows that it's 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 underway. Uh, it didn't show anything. Uh, and other than that, I think nothing. I think everything's on Andor. Andor's getting great buzz. Uh, I don't think the viewership is that high. I don't know any of this. No House of the Dragon. You know, no, I think maybe that's maybe that's part of it is the fact that there's such competition at the moment. Yeah. Um, so and, much genre it, right now. Yeah, and it it's not like. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi was appointment viewing and everybody knew it was going to be short. And so it's not like you doesn't feel like as much of a commitment necessarily. And Mandalorian people have grown to love over time and, and the Grogu hype. And so that makes all sense. But Andor is one that unless you've been watching the trailers to think like, oh, this could be this could be really cool in an intense new Star Wars sort of way, uh, then it's one you're going to you're going to skip if you're a very casual fan. So that kind of makes sense as to why it's not doing as well. But uh, in terms of reception, it's incredibly positive. So we're going to leave it there, I think. Uh, we'll be back, of course, next week to discuss episode five of Andor. Uh, hopefully the build continues. But in the meantime, if you have any thoughts on this or any of the other episodes or what you think is to come, Always feel free to uh, contact us. You can tweet at Recorder66 or email recorder66podcast at gmail.com. As always, rate and review on your preferred podcast app. Uh, or if you're joining us on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. We'll see you next week. And until we are together again, may the force be with you. Be with you.